Welcome to Research Uncensored, a podcast by Research FDI, your trusted investment attraction and business intelligence partner. Join me, Bruce Tackethman, and my co-host, Amber Hunter, as we bring you behind the scenes with economic development professionals around the world. We're going to find out the real stories behind the project wins and get to know some of the top players in the game today. We would like to thank the Next Move Group for sponsoring today's podcast. Next Move Group helps small to medium-sized companies, communities, and organizations create economic growth through executive searches that assist economic development organizations with hiring quality EDO professionals. They also provide site selection services to manufacturers, in addition to a suite of products designed to help organizations be successful. Welcome to another episode of Research Uncensored. Joined as always by my co-host, Amber Hunter. Hi, Bruce. How are you today? I'm doing great. Today we got Ian Johnson from Omnitrax on the program. Yeah, Ian is joining us. Uh, He is kind of the rail guy in economic development. He's worked for BNSF. uh, He's worked for JLL, helping them with clients that were seeking new rail-served facilities. So as someone that's married to a railroader, I'm very intrigued to hear more about what his role entails. Yes, and I'm someone who enjoys collecting all four railroads on Monopoly, and now Ian is with Omnitrax. Let's go ahead and bring him on the program. (laughs) Okay, let's dial in. All right, let's welcome our next guest all the way from Ohio, Ian Johnson. Welcome to the program. How you doing? Good, and you, Bruce? Pretty well, pretty well. It's been a while. I think the last time we saw each other must have been at an IEDC event uh, last year. Yeah, Indianapolis, I believe, uh, would have been the last time we saw each other. Um, But no, thank you again so much for having me on the podcast. Looking forward to it. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, when you got your start in the economic development industry as an intern for the Dayton Development Coalition, and we were talking offline, you got you finally had the opportunity to come home this year to Ohio. Uh, can you speak to what led you into this industry in the first place and uh, what uh, kind of got you into this internship? Yeah, for sure. So I was a economics major um, in college because it was the first time in my life that math made sense to me. <laughs> so I was, I was scared before my senior year as to what I would get out of my degree uh, because I didn't want to be a stockbroker um, and I didn't want to be like an analyst in finance or anything. And so I go to my advisor, like, what the heck can I do with this, um, with this degree? And so he started listing off things and none of them really interests me until finally he says, well, what do you think about helping businesses make locational decisions? I'm like, Oh, that kind of sounds interesting. Uh, so he told me to take this economic development course. And from there I was hooked. So then just to kind of tell you how the world works, um, I was also a member of student government at uh, Wright State University in Dayton. And our uh, college advisor for that happened to be married to the assistant city manager for strategic development at the city of Dayton. So he's like, yeah, if you want to do an internship with this stuff, like I can maybe help you out. So I interned there actually first before I went over to the coalition um, and just kind of through networking, was able to be a summer intern at the coalition, which is a, a regional economic development group in, in southwest Ohio that covers about 13 counties. Um, and there was just kind of boots on the ground learning the basics of economic development, right? So I had the opportunity to work with Marty Hohenberger, who's now at Ohio University, I believe, um, doing a lot with filling out 
uh, RFIs. This is back when those were those printed binders, if you guys remember. <laughs> that tells you a little bit about my age, right? And then, um, yeah, just to like see how the Dayton's region, the Dayton region's success was tied to how their practitioner community moved and spent a lot of time working together just kind of helped cultivate my interest in being an economic development professional. Well, that interest continued after the, after that internship, Uh, you then spent several years working as an ED specialist uh, for both the city of Trotwood and the Southern tier economic growth. Uh, What was it like early on in your career uh, working for these organizations and what were some of the key lessons you learned uh, that you still follow today? Yeah, so I often tell people those years were like my economic development master's degree program. Um, I was able to learn so much about relationships, how to conduct site visits, grant writing, uh, BR&E work. Uh, Trotwood is an entering suburb of Dayton and it has a deep manufacturing and industrial base. I was able to get a lot out or get out and learn a lot about the companies and, and how a ED office can assist in those growth efforts. Um, then when I got to uh, Southern Tier Economic Growth, which is in the Southern Tier in New York, Elmira, which is kind of between Binghamton and Ithaca to give you an idea of location, I was in the middle of the Marcella Shell frenzy. So what was awesome about that for my experience is that those were both small economic development shops, so you had to wear a ton of hats. Um, I highly recommend to anyone looking at it economic development as a career to try to find a shop where you can wear a ton of hats at least some point in your career. Um, I was able to learn early in my career that, uh, that I still take with me is that the projects we work on matter, right? We're not doing this stuff in a vacuum. We're creating an environment that allows companies to create jobs and workers to then put food on tables. Um, I also, I often try to remember that's a why and, and what the why is to the work that we do. So after working for several small organizations in 2009, you began a three-year term working as an economic development rep for the state of Illinois at the U.S. Department of Commerce. What was it like representing a state at, the, at a federal agency? Yeah, that was different, Bruce. Um, I knew at some point in my career I wanted to at least check the box that I worked in the federal government. Um, and so I had the opportunity uh, when I was at Southern Tier Economic Growth. One of the things I did was I wrote an EDA grant for um, road, water, and sewer access to an industrial park that we had. And so then the regional manager from the Philadelphia office had called me and said, hey, have you ever thought about coming to work for the federal government? I'm like, I know, not at this point in my career. And he's like, yeah, well, we're hiring. This is, if you remember, uh, in, in America, we had the uh, ARA, the uh, Reinvestment Act funding. So they had some extra positions. Um, I ended up getting an offer from the Chicago regional office, which Ohio was a part of, and I'm from there. So I had the opportunity to work on some Ohio projects. Uh, and so I got a lot out of working as an economic development rep. So Like it's more so representing the federal agency or the federal government in the state versus kind of the reverse, right? You're not really representing the state of Illinois. It's kind of the opposite. So what the job really entailed was going out to distressed communities 
and working with those economic developers to come up with both infrastructure and uh, soft projects that then could be funded to help assist or help create that environment for economic growth for those communities. So, I mean, I was definitely able to learn a lot about working with state partners, um, finding these unique projects to fund, kind of looking through federal funding opportunities and, and CFR regulations to kind of see where some of these newer creative projects could be boxed in um, in order to get some of this funding. So it was an uh, enjoyable time in my career for sure. And I'm so glad I had the opportunity and the privilege to do it. Wow, that sounds like a role that really allowed you to wear a lot of hats and and get a, a, a real feel for economic development, especially at you know the distinguished level of, of the federal agency. Um, you then went to transition to work for the prominent site selection firm Jones Lang LaSalle, and I believe that's where you began your focus on helping communities that were seeking new rail served facilities. Um, you now are kind of your name within the industry is sort of synonymous with with rail, I would say. So, <laughs> would you say that this position is kind of what led you on this new path and sort of came to define uh, the rest of your career so far? Yeah, for sure. So um, I will say before I went over to JLL, I knew nothing about rail. And I had worked on a project in Rochelle, Illinois, which is right like northwest of the city of Chicago, where um, the BNSF Railroad and the Union Pacific uh, cross over. And so the city had the wherewithal to create their own city-owned short-line railroad off of that. And when I was at EDA, we had a project where we funded the city to extend some of their infrastructure to serve an industrial park with that short line railroad. And so I started learning a little bit more about the rail industry working on that project. And then this position came open. And so what I, I like, I get asked about this a lot. So I, I try to clear it up that so JLL has a unique partnership with BNSF via the JLL Rail Practice Group. So um, while I worked closely with, I wasn't necessarily working with or working for the like business and economic incentives group when you think of like the, the traditional JLL site selectors, right? So while I had, um, I, I was getting a paycheck from JLL, uh, the relationship is so tight with BNSF in that particular group that I had a BNSF email address. I was housed in the BNSF office. So I felt more at that time, like a BNSF employee than I did necessarily a JLL employee. Um, but no, it, it, it was a way for me to put a new and a unique product in my ED toolkit. At that time, I wasn't sure if I'd be in rail for any other part of my career, more so than just being excited that this was something that was a little unique and I got to work on some interesting projects. So supply chain is such a critical part of any site selection project. And that's something that rail helps solve, right? So that's what made it interesting. I mean, then also being kind of a student of economic development, it was exciting to work in an industry that still is 
which kind of created some of the first industrial developers, right? I mean, if you think about a lot of, before a lot of communities had economic development organizations, you'd have either the railroad or the utility company kind of taking companies around in these different communities, showing them sites and kind of showing them what their options were. So yeah, that's what kind of attracted me to it and what made it interesting. Great. And then I, I guess from working so closely with BNSF, you then made, you know, the decision to become, uh, you know, a direct employee for the organization for, I believe, over five years as a regional manager of economic development. Could you uh, maybe let our listeners know that are unaware what exactly entails um, for an economic development manager representing a rail company? What would a day to day sort of look like for you? Yeah, for sure. So the economic development or industrial development team at any railroad is responsible for creating quality growth for the railroad. So it's really one of the pure new business growth um, groups within a railroad. So you're working with the economic development marketplace, right? Site selectors, uh, communities that in that railroad's territory and the economic development groups to create new customers and locate new customers on a rail line. Um, The other major task is then preparing communities to embrace rail-related growth. So through the identification of potential industrial parks or rail-served sites, um, these in these type of roles, you want to prevent communities uh, from using their best rail-served sites to put a a data center or someone that's not going to use rail on that particular piece of property. Uh, so then for BNSF, I had worked in the Southwest U.S. for a period, um, was based in Phoenix, Arizona, and then I went over to the BNSF headquarters in Fort Worth, Texas, and covered the southeastern portion of the BNSF network, so uh, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, states like that. I believe last summer you landed your current new role as the vice president of economic development at Omnitrax. So a major congratulations on that promotion. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about what this new role entails, how it came about, and what were some of the first initiatives uh, that you were uh, tasked with as you became, you know, a manager of this group? Yeah, for sure. First off, thank you. Um, and then, uh, you know, they say when things are meant to be, all the stars on a little line, and that's what really happened at Omnitrax. Uh, so Omnitrax is one of North America's largest and fastest-growing uh, privately held transportation companies. So we have about 23 short-line railroads throughout North America, uh, and then we operate at the intersection of real estate, supply chain, and transportation. So we're a transportation company born out of a real estate development company. So we bring both of those competencies, which are, again, both key to the economic development puzzle. Um, There aren't many of us economic developers in the rail industry, right? And then even less uh, that come from what I would call kind of a pure economic development background, right? Having done time in maybe local economic development. So the Omnitrax leadership was looking for ways to better engage and gain rail car volume through the economic development marketplace. And that matched up well with my skill set. Um, and, and, and it worked out, right? And so some of the first initiatives uh, were around generating products. Uh, we recently launched a rail-ready sites program on many of our railroads, 
where our industrial development team works in concert with economic development organizations along our rail line to identify, assess, and market rail serve property with the goal of locating rail serve customers who are often in industries that create um, higher paying and stickier jobs, right? Jobs that aren't looking to leave the community. They're usually manufacturing based. Uh, so we work with those economic development organizations to land those type of prospects. Now, um, over the years, you were very active in the IEDC and SEDC and various economic development associations. But I got to say, the, the BNSF parties you guys used to have were a lot of fun. I think that's where you and I got to know each other. And I don't remember much about them, obviously, but I hope, <laughs> I hope your new organization knows how to throw a party like those guys. <laughs> we we will we we definitely plan to. Uh, but through your through your associations at these organizations, you earned your CECD de- designation in 2016. You're also previously the vice chair of the Young Professional Advisory Committee and are currently a board member of IADC. Can you tell our listeners the benefits of utilizing organizations like IADC or SEDC to grow your career? Yeah. Um, so IEDC has been an important, extremely important part of my career. Uh, early on, the IEDC courses allowed me to learn theory behind some of the things I was learning in the field at that time. Um, I was also able to develop a network of professionals you know, across North America who I can call when I run into issues or when a company we've been identifying, as a company we're identifying new markets. Um, and then getting my CECD was important to me personally as well uh, as a career milestone. Um, but it's also important as a utility provider to show local economic developers that I speak their language, so to speak, right? That I have the depth and breadth of knowledge in economic development. I think when I'm able to walk into a community's ED office and hand out my card and it has that on there, that gives them a level of assurity that, they that I understand at least some of what they're going through or what they're speaking about. And I don't think um, there are a ton of utility providers that can say that. Uh, besides that, I mean, I remain extremely passionate about bringing new blood into an organization like IEDC, but then also into the profession from not only a racial perspective, but a gender perspective, a sexual orientation perspective, and then also from an age perspective. Um, When I started going to IEDC, it was daunting to me because I would walk into a lot of these rooms and no one would look like me. I was often the youngest and one of few minorities. So I actively try to make it a mission when I'm at IEDC conferences and events to seek out first-timers I'll go through the conference app and identify three or four people that I just don't know and make it a mission to find those people. Uh, I could go on about the benefits of being active in an industry organization all day. Uh, To me, that transcends ED. That's for any profession, right? Whether you're an accountant, a lawyer, um, a railroader, like it, it makes sense for you personally to be active in your, um, your industry organization. So then when you look at leaders in your profession, no matter what that profession is, again, uh, I'm willing to bet they either are or have been very active in their industry organization. Um, Again, that's where you get the network. That's where you get a lot of the knowledge base. And that's how you kind of grow yourself 
outside of the work you're doing day to day. Absolutely. And I know IEDC over the years has, uh, has made inroads in trying to become uh, more diverse. And this year has truly been a year of, you know, besides COVID-19, 2020 can be marked also as a year of social revolution. Um, could you speak to ID, IDC using their annual event this year, uh, their virtual event this year, to spearhead the movement to promote uh, inclusivity and equality in economic development? Yeah, so I would say, Bruce, that IEDC has always been, or has been, I should say, early to the party when it comes to diversity and inclusion. I think as economic developers, we, we naturally understand and understood early that at the very least, it may it makes your community more competitive to be as inclusive as possible, right? And then besides that, it's just good business. So earlier this year, IEDC created a racism and economic development task force, which I'm a proud member of. Uh, major props to Kenny McDonald and IEDC leadership for being so strong in its position on many of the things related to diversity and inclusion. Um, and that committee ha- is with the intent of facing those these types of challenges and having these uncomfortable conversations. Um, the annual conference for a few years now has uh, had this type of content sprinkle in, right, uh, some stuff around diversity and inclusion. I think this year will be no different, and, and I think it's going to be at the forefront of the conference versus being sprinkled in throughout, as it has been in years past. Um, and, and you'll see a lot of that mixed into the discussions and the sessions. So again, shout out to also Jeff Fink on the entire IEDC staff for the critical and hard work that they're doing on that. No doubt. That should be uh, very interesting this year as part of the annual conference. Now, another cause that's very important to you is the cause of Minds Matter. So for over a decade, you volunteered as a mentor for that group. Could you speak to this work and if any lessons you learned uh, during your time there also, that maybe translated to your work in economic development. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm in sort of for Minds Matter, uh, which is a program that matches high-performing, high-achieving, low-income high school students with mentors uh, with the hopes of getting them into competitive colleges and competitive summer programs. Uh, the, the concept is close to me because I was that kid. I was a kid who needed that type of mentoring coming from a single-parent household. Um, I see myself in a lot of those kids who are high performers, but maybe from um, moderate to low income backgrounds. Um, and, and where that translates to economic development for me is in the work to create quality jobs. Um, I always quote Ron Kitchens from Southwest Michigan First on this, who says the biggest force for change is a job. And I truly believe that a quality job solves a lot of the issues for a family. It's much easier to do your homework and be attentive in class when you aren't wondering where your next meal is going to come from or if you're going to have a roof over your head tonight, right? So it's this cycle and creating a quality job is what kind of creates this snowball to kind of this solid nuclear family unit that creates our next generation of of citizens, but then also of our future workforce from an economic development perspective, being prepared and being able to tackle the things in the future. So it's all an ecosystem and identifying and nurturing high-performing kids uh, is an important and critical part of that ecosystem. 
That sounds great. And I love the way you balance, you know, your full-time career with these uh, endeavors uh, and give back to your community. And I think it shows in, in the way you do your work and, and how quickly, you know, you've climbed up to a uh, vice president uh, position. So I really appreciate you coming in and talk to us. Could you maybe tell our listeners if they're interested in getting in touch with you or learning more about Omnitrax, how they can reach you? Yeah, for sure. So I'm not cool to have like a uh, social media or anything <laughs> like that besides LinkedIn. So you can email me at ejohnson at Omnitrax. That's O-M-N-I-T-R-A-X.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn, Ian Johnson. Thank you so much, Ian. No problem. Again, thank you guys so much for having me on the podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. You can find us on the web at www.researchfdi.com, on LinkedIn, and on Twitter at ResearchFDI. Tune in next week as we have another guest from the economic development world. 